remain standing and hear the word of the Lord. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. Father, as I open this word today, would it be the encouragement, yet not I, but through Christ in me, would it be a profound declaration of our allegiance to you? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Mark gave me carte blanche for uh, selecting a sermon passage this week, and I thought I would just pick a favorite, you know, nice, easy text on Jesus and his church, church planting. You guys are going into a series on Peter. I just thought one, two, punch, was planning foolishly on a really nice, quiet Christmas break, you know, to prepare for this, thought it would be all fine, should not have picked a text that includes the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Because apparently I just like waved a giant red flag at a bull and said, bring it. Because two days before Christmas, I got an email that has sent me into a pretty combative position for the rest of the week. But rather than feeling like I had to pick a fight, the more I studied this text, the more I realized that deep down, God was trying to give me a really deep, more secure assurance of what he's doing and of how he goes about working in the world. And so what I'm hoping is that the reorientation that this passage did for me this past week would be a profound reorientation for you if you find yourself discouraged today in a low place or alone, or if you're feeling a little settled and content. I hope this passage will reorient you as we see what God is doing here and now. But before we get to New Year's 2022, I want to jump back and see where God was when he first asked his, the, his disciples the question, who do you say that I am? He was hanging out with his disciples in a town called Caesarea Philippi. As per usual, he was primarily talking to Peter, the loud mouth of the group. We love him. Caesarea Philippi was a cool city. It was really a symbolic place of both political and spiritual authority and power of the day. Politically, it had just been renamed Caesarea Philippi as a not-so-obvious nod to Caesar Augustus and to Philip, the son of Herod. It was definitely a place of asserting Roman authority. It was also a place of spiritual authority. I will never forget uh, Pastor Mark sharing a picture from when he traveled to this place, which still exists. There is a cave there that is one of the headwaters of the Jordan River. And at that cave, they created a, um, a place of worship to Pan. And that 
place, that cave, was known colloquially, locally, as the gates of hell. And it was at that place, that town, that Jesus first asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And I believe that in today's day and age, when political and spiritual opinions are so personalized, so important to each of us to not be violated, so paramount, I invite you to ask the question, who do you say that Jesus is? And as a next step, what does who you say Jesus is How does that impact then how you live your life? How does who you say God is help you tackle the discouragements of your life? How does who God is help you explain your current positions of contentment and power? Who do you say that I am? He gave the disciples an easy out first because if you notice he asked, who do the people say that the son of man is and they give an answer a lot of people will hear today about Jesus he's a good teacher Uh, maybe he's the reincarnation of a popular spiritual figure Um, but then our buddy Peter speaks up and I love Peter especially at this point in the story because Peter's on a spiritual high He's just gotten to have some really great moments feeding 5,000 people and then 4,000 people and walking on the water in between so like man He's right there with Jesus. So he takes up speaking for the whole group. And my paraphrase is he says, I know who you are. You are the one with all the political power and all the spiritual power. That's a good paraphrase because he says, you are the Christ. You are the anointed king that we have been waiting to sit on the throne of Israel forever. You're going to take political charge over Caesar. I know it. And you have all the spiritual authority. You are the son of the living God, not Pan who just died. You're the son of the living God. You've got all the spiritual authority. And just like Peter, man, we just, we teachers pets, we love this. Jesus gives him the answer of a, of a happy rabbi. Oh, good answer. Peter, blessed are you, son of Jonah, you've got this one right. And because Simon Peter has just exposed that he has a new level of understanding of who Jesus is, Jesus gives them, he tells them what's coming next for the first time. And it's this news of what's coming next that was so reorienting for me. And I hope that it is reorienting for you as well. Given that I'm preaching um, after being under Mark's tutelage for nine years, here's my wink and a nod to my beloved brother. I have a two-point sermon, and both points start with the letter R. You're welcome. So, to those who are wondering about what is at work in the powers of the world, why is this all happening, what's going on, Jesus redefines and he resurrects. Jesus redefines and he resurrects. Jesus redefines what he's doing. Yes, he is establishing government and spiritual authority over all the powers of the world. And he's brought his disciples to this epicenter of power to let them know that. 
but he's not doing it by raising an army against Caesar. He's not doing it by redecorating Pan's cave. You're going to love this. This is how Jesus overpowers the powers of the world. He does it by building his church. He does it by building a church that is based on, grounded in a new pledge of allegiance. So let's redefine the church. Verse 18, he says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. I love this. Jesus says really emphatically, he says, I'm going to build my own church. And he doesn't say, I'm going to go build a temple to be bigger than Jerusalem. What he says is, I am going to build a people. My best study of this text, and we can debate this later because this, this, this is a good one that we seminarians really like to talk about. But the word, the rock, Jesus is basing this new church that he's building on a proclamation that he is king and God. That's the redefining Pledge of Allegiance, and that's what defines the church. I pledge my allegiance to the Christ, the King, and the kingdom that he is establishing. One family under the Son of the living God. I love this word church. It's linguistically really fun. It looks like it means something like the called out people. And in the Roman day and age, it was a secular word that just meant a gathering, an assembly of people. Jesus is establishing that he's building not a building, but an assembly of followers, a people who will follow his way for generations. And it begins with these 12. And it begins with Peter, who's the first to take up the Pledge of Allegiance. The church is not an option on Sunday morning for an hour that we hope makes us feel better. It's a collective of people that together, not individually, but together, work out that allegiance to the King and God wherever you work and play and study and live we are the assembly beyond these walls. I love that title. Thank you, Ellis. I'm, I'm forever giving you credit for that. What's the problem is with church planting, it can really begin to feel like beginning a church is figuring out where to meet for an hour on Sunday and which message of hope speaks particularly to this moment. And yet, Jesus' plan for overhauling all spiritual and political authority in the earth is the church. So it's got to mean something more than that, right? But I, for one, get stuck. Let's go back to that email that came to me two days before Christmas Eve. So here's what happened. On Tuesday, December 21st, we hosted a vigil, an eight-hour prayer vigil in the vault room, because we actually have a vault, at Kitsap House, where we are praying against the darkness. Tuesday the 21st is the winter solstice, and I have a lot of friends in Port Orchard who believe that that is a significantly spiritual day. So as a follower of Jesus, I just brought Jesus right into it, right? Sit outside the cave of Pan. Let's go, right? So I, I, we had outside, out front, people could write down what they're grieving from the year under, um, under the scripture that said, 
uh, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. We invited them to come back for a living room concert that Dave Thomas and Luke Stanton led for us. Beautiful. Well, while all that was happening, wouldn't you know that a city employee doing their job, making sure everybody's safe, I don't want to begrudge them, walked by the house, saw what was going on, and walked right into the coding office, which is right behind the alley of Kitsap House, and asked, what's the code of the house? Okay, so Kitsap House is, is zoned correctly, okay? We can gather there, but it's not coded correctly, apparently, okay? Still the holidays, haven't worked it all out, but what ended up happening was that I got an email on Wednesday that said, your use, the way you are using the house is not legal. Okay, so again, like, let's not get too far down the road. It's still just January 2nd. It snowed for a week. Okay, we're going to work it out. But in the meantime, two days before Christmas Eve, besides switching out fire candles for electric candles, there wasn't a whole lot more I could do. But I started looking for another place to worship, which feels like a big part of the story of church planting in Port Orchard. Where are we going to be when confronting the political and spiritual authorities of a city, it sure can seem like what it is to be a church is to have a place to worship for an hour on a Sunday morning, ideally at 10 o'clock. You know what I mean? It feels like when we read this text that we have to fight against hell to keep the church going. It feels like this text is a call to arms. To read the last half of verse 18, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Lord knows I do not mind a battle, okay? I got a playlist on Spotify called Battle Cry. And if you drove past me on 16 on the way into Kitsap County, you would be scared, okay? <laughs> so I'm not backing down <laughs> from a battle, and there are plenty of places we could talk about Christus Victor and go to hell Satan and all the things. Problem is, that's not this text. I don't think that's what's here. I think when we respond like that, we're being a lot like hot-headed Peter and a lot less like Jesus. I want to blare the battle music and go. We want a battle scene of victory, right? We want gladiator. We want the new Boba Fett. We know he cannot lose, right? We want the gates of hell shall not prevail against it to be the church is on an offensive that cannot be beat. Hoorah! Let's go. But here's what happens when I live like that. I can't get my anxiety levels down because it makes it feel like the battle's all on me. If I could have just prayed the right prayer, if somebody would just give me the right incantation to cover kids up house, we would be okay. Like, I can, I can feel that right now in my gut. Do you feel that? Like, how, um, how awful that feels, that it feels like the battle's on me, and how well this goes is about me, but it is not. It is about Jesus. And I believe that this passage is not so much a call to arms more than it is a call to defiant hope. A call to defiant hope in the resurrection, in the face of despair. It seems fitting to me as I meditated on this this morning as I woke up, picturing being with Jesus, just imagining if he were with his disciples at the gates of hell. 
the actual gate, right? The cave of Pan, like this is a real place. And he says to them, you're right, Peter, that's, that's the Pledge of Allegiance. You are the Christ, the King. And I belong to one family under the Son of the living God. Jesus says, yes, Peter, you're right. And even that can't prevail against my own church that I am building. It's okay if we misunderstand. Peter, Peter certainly did. When Peter gave his pledge of allegiance, Jesus goes on to say this, and I just feel like we really have to read this, verse 21. He says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. He's on a spiritual high, remember? Saying, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me because you have your mind set on the things of man and not set on the things of God. Jesus promises not insurrection, but resurrection. Peter expected the definition of the church to be an assembly that was going to take down Caesar, that was going to take down Pan. But Jesus is trying to show his disciples that his display of power is not in strength, but in weakness. Not in battle, but in sacrifice. Here's what Jesus is promising us. He's promising us that following him to victory looks like Aslan on the stone table. It looks like Harry Potter walking into the woods. I hope I'm going to catch one of you here. It looks like Aragorn when he's riding out of the deep, hope against hope. It looks like Princess Anna jumping in front of the sword. Anybody? Did I catch anybody? Listen, we love these stories. Why do, those, why do we love those stories so much? Because we were built for loving sacrifice. We were built to understand that sacrifice is the key to victory, not strength, not by might, not by strength, but by my power, says the Lord God Almighty. And his power was displayed when he died and rose again. Jesus promises not insurrection, but resurrection. Jesus fights battles all the way through death, not avoiding it, but embracing it that he might bring new life out of it. Resurrection is the great hope for the church and for the individuals who are assembled to be part of it. New life out of death. Hope born in God out of finding the end of our options. Strength found when you've got nothing left to give. Peter doesn't get this now. Oh, but he will. He will. Because Jesus will die and be raised again three days later. later. And Peter will call the believers to assemble together to wait for instruction from on high. And when the Holy Spirit comes and fills Peter with the power of Jesus, he sets loose the proclamation of the Pledge of Allegiance. 
Jesus is the Christ, the king who is establishing his kingdom, one family under the son of the living God. And what happens is in Acts 2, all the Jews of Jerusalem come to believe that Jesus is the Christ. And then in Acts 8, all the Samaritans come to believe that Jesus is the Christ. And then in Acts 10, it goes beyond the borders of Caesar Philippi that all the Gentiles come to believe the pledge of allegiance that Jesus is the Christ. It wasn't by an army, but by a pledge. We have to share the message of Jesus that he is king and God and that his message is not a message of aggression but of loving sacrifice. It's the pledge of allegiance to a king and a God and when we understand that his way is through suffering then we are released from the spiral of despair. That Alpha video was full of people asking the questions, why? Why bad things? Why suffering in the world? We ask it ourselves. How will this church plant make it? Where else are we going to worship? Okay, like we're all in the same boat here. But when we believe in a God who made a path through suffering and that this is still the way, then we escape the spiral of despair as the only people in the world with hope that there is life after death, life in the resurrection. What does this look like practically? Well, there's a good modern teacher who said to us, you must unlearn what you have learned. I can't get the voice right. My son is trying. Anybody? Okay. We got to ask God to redefine what we believe life is about and to teach us his way. Verse 16, Peter says, or Jesus says to Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. The, uh, the knowing that Jesus is king and God does not come to us except through God himself. So if we want to escape the spiral of despair, if we want to get out of the patterns of this world of power, our access point is revelation from God himself. So I have a twofold invitation to you to allow God to bring redefinition and resurrection to your life. Draw near to God in two ways. My first invitation is to his word. If you have not read the scriptures in a, in a long time, January 2nd is a good time to start, don't you think? like not even behind. We love the app, the Bible in one year. It's put out by Alpha. It's a great place to start. If you feel like you know enough about the Bible, then ask someone to read it with you because there's nothing that inspires curiosity quite like a seven-year-old asking you, why do, why do angels exist before human beings? You know, it's fun to be curious with someone. Here in Gig Harbor, they're going to keep studying Peter. If you liked him, you're going to continue liking him, I promise. And Port Orchard, we're going to keep um, pressing into this is the way, the way of Jesus as he brings it out in the book of Matthew. I don't know where we're meeting next week. You guys like that? You excited about that? If you are, if you get, get a little kick off of that, then you should come hang out in Port Orchard. Um, I, I will have at the back cards, you can give me your email because you'll need an email from me this week to find out where and when to meet on Sunday. Isn't that fun? Uh, or you can keep up online, chapelhillpc.org slash right now. You can sign up for emails. First invitation is to get into the Word. Stick with it. And second is come try Alpha. It's a safe place to ask questions. Look, if you're a Bible person at the table, you get, you get the smackdown. This is not the place to have the answers. It's the place to come with the questions and to ask people, who do you say that Jesus is? There is a way to life. The way to life is a person. It's the Christ, and death cannot vanquish what he is building in his church. He died and rose again 
So as Pastor Mark told me last week, don't be surprised when the darkness fights back. And we are the victorious ones. Not through an army, but through loving sacrifice, following the way of Jesus. So I want to invite us into a time of prayer. And to couch our time of prayer, let me, let me read you one final scripture. This is from the risen Christ, the beginning of Revelation, chapter 118. Jesus says to them, that's not the right reference, but this is what he says. Fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and I live forevermore. I have the keys to death and Hades. Fear not. Fear not. Let us pray. Jesus, this pledge of allegiance, you've written it all over my soul. And I know that that has come from you. Holy Spirit, would you please come and reveal the life that is found in knowing that you are the Christ, the King. Jesus, I pray especially for those in the spiral of despair today who found the end of their own power, the end of their own strength. Jesus, would a proclamation of a good God who made the way through suffering and death to new life, Jesus, would you be writing that all over the despair and the discouragement even now? Jesus, would the proclamation that you are a, the son of the living God bring spiritual life to anyone here online who's been wondering if God is real? Holy Spirit, would you reveal to us how true it is that you have all spiritual power and authority? Our risk, Jesus, is that we take this text and we over-personalize it and individualize it and forget that this, this is a message for the assembly. That the gates of hell will not prevail against your own church. That is one church. One universal, international church for all generations. All of those who would claim this Pledge of Allegiance. Jesus rests so deep in our core that we are a part of an assembly that has, cannot be overcome, for you have overcome it all for us. And until we see that, Lord, face to face, would we feel part of the built-up church? Lord, I pray for all those who are lonely today. Would this declaration of allegiance be a belonging for us? Jesus, you have to reorient us. We are in sin and unable to make the mark of your holiness. Jesus, would you forgive us and call us to yourself? In the name of Jesus, amen.